Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
Good morning, everybody. If I can have your attention, please. Good morning, everybody. I feel I'm on The Apprentice this morning. Never seen such a, a layout for Cork Chamber before. My name is Paula Cogan, President of Cork Chamber, um, and I'm thrilled that you're all able to join us this morning. Um, thank you to our candidates who have joined us at a very, very, very busy time, I'm sure, uh, in the electioneering process. We are joined this morning by Fianna Fáil, Michael McGrath, Fianna Gael, Jerry Buttermer, the Green Party, Councillor Oliver Moran. From Labour, we have Councillor John Marr, from Sinn Féin, Donna Colera, and from the show, Social Democrats, Sinead Halpin. Can I please thank the examiner, as always, as our fantastic media partner who facilitated for us this morning. Our elected representatives are key to ensuring that the climate, civic transport, and housing foundations are in place to realize our full potential. The Cork Chamber election manifesto guided by our commitment to the UN Sustainable Development Goals. There is a copy for everybody in the audience this morning, and I'm hoping that you have all browsed through it already. The Chamber Manifesto highlights urban living and new housing, sustainable and public transport, infrastructure, a green Ireland, an attractive business environment. To speak to these topics this morning, we're delighted to have Daniel McConnell from the Irish Examiner join us as facilitator. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. And uh, you're all very welcome to this uh, very important event and debate. Uh, we are eight days away from polling, and I promised this morning's event will be less shouty than last night's uh, TV debate on uh, TV3. Um, but I suppose we do meet and gather this morning on a very historic and very important day, because as of 11 o'clock tonight, our nearest neighbours and partners, the UK, uh, will no longer be members of the European Union. And obviously, Brexit has formed a large part of the narrative of uh, the, the opening two weeks or so of the, of the general election campaign. So as part of the debate this morning, we'll obviously look and look to explore the significance and uh, the implications of that exit. We have a fascinating debate for you. We have a, a stellar lineup of candidates um, of political representatives. They're representing their party, so this is not a candidate's debate, this is a party debate. So we will probe them on the Cork Chamber's manifesto, the key areas that all of you as members and as interested stakeholders in the area, in the city of Cork and the surrounds have and want to press their political parties on. Um, we have Slido in operation, so this, we want to make this as interactive as possible. So if you have the Slido app, or if you have your phone, you can go to slido.com and put in the code election2020, ask your questions, and I will feed them in during the course of the debate. There will also be a Q&A uh, at the end, so there will be roving mics around the floor as well, so feel free to get stuck in and get involved as, as much as possible. Um, I'm now going to introduce the candidates up to the podium. We're going to start this morning's event with a one-minute address from each of the candidates um, to allow them uh, an unfettered... Uh, approach to, 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 to give you their pitch uh, at the start and then we can get into battle uh, from there on in. So in alphabetical order, uh, could you first uh, welcome please Jerry Buttermer, Fine Gael Senator, Leader of the Shannad and uh, contesting the constituency of Cork South Central. <laughs> uh, next up for the Social Democrats is Sinead Halpin who is standing in Cork North Central. Also in North Central is Councillor John Marr of the Labour Party. Uh, 
Uh, next up, he is his party's finance spokesperson. He is contesting Cork South Central, Michael McGrath. Uh, for the Green Party, uh, contesting Cork North Central is Councillor Oliver Moran. And last but not least, uh, for Sinn Féin, uh, he is their, his party's children's spokesperson, uh, contesting Cork South Central, Donica O'Leary. So as I said, each, each um, candidate is going to have one minute to set out their stall for, on behalf of their party. We're going to go in alphabetical order. So, Jerry Buttermer, you have the floor. One minute. Uh, good morning, everybody. Today is a very profound day for us here in Ireland as Britain leaves the European Union. And I want to thank our Tornister, our Taoiseach, and our Minister for European Affairs for the work they've done on securing a deal for Brexit. This election is about our future, collectively and personally. Now with a stabilised economy, it's critical that we invest here in Cork and in us as people. It's about us as a city and about us as a county developing our full potential. Cork is in a period of profound change. We now have a new expanded city council, a new boundary, a new critical mass of people. Now as we enter the second half of the recovery of our country, it's important and incumbent upon us as a government to deliver and to invest in our people, in public services, and to bring real reform. And more importantly, it's about acknowledging the role of business and about the importance of jobs. We've come from a period of 15.8% unemployment to full employment. That means more people working, more people contributing. That's time, Jerry. Thank you. Uh, next up, Sinead Halpin, Social Democrats. One minute. Hi everyone, I just wanted to say thank you very much for the invitation. Um, I'm very lucky to have worked both uh, for and with some of the companies that are represented here today. So an awful lot of your uh, election manifesto was something that I really took to heart. The party that I'm representing is born out of a need for honest politics and for a need for honesty throughout our entire society. We believe that the policies of slash and burn or cut and promise and spend are something that are going to lead us down the wrong path. We believe that having the foundation of public services, of healthcare, of housing, is what's going to lead to a happier society overall. And that's something that I really would like to impress upon everybody here, to keep in mind the most vulnerable people that are living in your communities when you are making your decisions. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Next up, John Marr of the Labour Party. Uh, thanks a million, everybody. Uh, the third election in eight months, and this is definitely one of the more glamorous settings to have a debate. Um, the message is very simple here today um, on the Cork <coughs> Chamber Manifesto. Um, it's been largely mirrored by my own party's uh, manifesto, but if we want investment, um, if we want the public services that support communities, businesses, <coughs> workers, we can't have tax cuts. It's not a popular thing to say, but the one thing I will do in this election is be honest. We have to raise the revenue and myself as a worker doesn't need a cup of coffee at the end of the week um, at the expense of our public services. We know the issues, housing, infrastructure, public transport, climate. What we need now is we need to be more ambitious and it's time for change in Cork and that's what we're offering in the Labour Party. Thanks a million. Well, very prompt and half your time left over. Michael McGrath, Fianna Fáil. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Daniel, and thank you to Cork Chamber for facilitating this debate. I'm delighted to be here on behalf of the Fianna Fáil Party. And to say at the outset that from our perspective, we see our core objective uh, to enabling you people in business to do what you do best, 
to invest, to create jobs, uh, to create opportunities for others, uh, and to bring our city and our county forward uh, onto the next phase of development. We do that by delivering, by delivering real public investment on the key infrastructure projects that matter, matter in the city and county, and by improving our taxation environment for businesses as well, to reward risk takers, to reward those who create jobs in our economy. We need to improve our society as well and tackle the fundamental challenges uh, of climate change, create and build more housing, uh, deal with the crisis in our healthcare, tackle major issues in the insurance industry and focus on the quality of life issues such as childcare that really matter to the people that we represent. And I think working together we can achieve progress on all those issues. That's great, Michael. Thank you. Councillor Oliver Moran of the Green Party. Thank you. Uh, thank you also, Paula, for the invitation, and thank you, everybody here, for being here. Uh, my name is Oliver Moran. I'm the Green Party candidate for Cork North Central. Uh, I was elected in uh, May of last year as the first uh, Green Party candidate who was elected north of River Lee. Elected with a team of six Green Party councillors in Cork City and County. And since then, I think we have proven that we are workers and we are dedicated to delivering an agenda, a green agenda, which has captured people's imaginations in Ireland, in Cork, and across the world. And I think that capturing of an, of an imagination can be reflected in your own manifesto here today, which I would find very difficult to tell from a Green Party manifesto anywhere in the world. I think where we differ, we probably differ in the way that people who agree the most differ. So when you would have a Green Party uh, TD for Cork, north of the river, south of the, of the river, you would be guaranteed that there would be a political will to deliver the kind of things you are here, because this is not just policy for us, this is our cause. Thank you. Thank you very much. And finally, <coughs> Donegal O'Leary, Sinn Féin. Thank the Cork Chamber for the invitation. I suppose, like any debate of this kind, there is a mix of national and the local. But just to give a perspective on our overall philosophy, we believe now is the time for investment, particularly in things that are of strategic importance to the economy, such as the third level sector, making it uh, more affordable, but also improving quality. But we're also interested in investing to ensure that uh, your quality of life, your employees' quality of life, and your outgoings are reduced. So reducing the cost of childcare, reducing the cost of education. Here in Cork, there is enormous potential. And I think that despite various political disagreements on some of the national issues, I think there is uh, a great deal of unity of purpose across the different political parties about the opportunity that faces Cork. But to grasp that requires uh, significant investment uh, and it requires focus, not only from public authorities here in Cork, but also from national government. We are very committed to investing in the key elements of public transport and infrastructure uh, to try and deliver the kind of Cork that is possible. Dublin is overheating. Cork it's need time, not be placed in competition, time. but can complement it in balanced growth. Thanks, Emil. Um, the Cork Chamber of Commerce has, has a manifesto, and it deals with all, a lot of the pressing issues that are facing Cork at the moment, and we were going to delve through that. We have. Uh, about 45 minutes or so to get through a lot, a lot of topics. But I want to start, Michael McGrath, if I could. Your party, uh, since the start of the campaign, is leading in four polls. Your sure. party leader is the pr prospective Taoiseach. But yet, how do you get to 80 seats? How do you form a government? Because you won't do a deal with Sinn Féin. You won't do, uh, talk to <coughs> Fine Gael. Labour are dodgy as to whether or not they'll actually go into government if they don't have enough seats. The Green Party, you know, they have said themselves they can't be assured of going in. Your numbers don't stack up. You can't form a government. What are you going to do? 
Well, look, I think we need to have the election first, and you know, we are determined to maximise the number of seats uh, that we can win. We're running 84 candidates. Uh, each one of those candidates, as individuals, believe that they can win a seat, and who am I to tell them that they can't? Um, I accept that you know, whatever uh, the numbers throw up after the election, it's going to be a challenge for all of us. But my own experience of uh, being on the other side from opposition of a minority government over the last number of years is that we do need a strong government, actually, to make uh, decisions, sometimes difficult decisions, uh, but also to put proper medium and long-term plans in place for our country. So to answer your question directly, you know, after the election, you know, we will sit down with like-minded parties, um, such as Labour, such as the Greens, Social Democrats and others, uh, with a view to, uh, if it is possible, to negotiate and agree a programme for government. But it will, of course, depend on the numbers, but for now, we are determined to get as many seats as we possibly can to be in a strong Jerry position. Butter Jerry Buttermer, anyone watching the debate last night would have been struck notwithstanding the sort of the, the headline rejection of Sinn Féin from your party leader, but there was a definite softening of tone between Leo Varadkar and Mary Lou Macdonald and vice versa. Are your two parties playing footsie with each other? Is there a potential there for a coalition? The, the only footsie last night was Matt Cooper and Ivan Yates. And, I hope you do, and, and, and so far you're doing a better job, Danny, so well done Thanks at the beginning. Um, I think the question you pose is a very important one. And all of us in this room are leaders of some type or other. And cast our minds back to 1989, the PDs, tiny little arrangement, 1992, spring tide, Dick Spring, never going to government, Fianna Fáil, in he goes. Bertie Hearn cobbled together his deal with the Greens. And John Gormley, we know what happened to him. He became the leader as Trevor Sargent walked away. And let's be clear about one thing. Leo Varadkar and Fine Gael have been absolutely crystal clear. We were not going to government. And it's the people's prerogative, first of all, to make the decision. But I would call on the Fianna Fáil members here this morning to rule out that they would get rid of Micheál Martin as, as leader of Fianna Fáil for another Taoiseach. Because there's 10 members of the parliamentary party who've said already they're open to going to government with Sinn Féin. At least 10. And it's incumbent upon the Fianna Fáil spokespeople here this morning to say, one, they won't get rid of Micheál Martin, and two, they will categorically rule out going to government. Because what, what is clear, if I may finish on this point, what is clear, and you referenced at the beginning, I'm the leader of the Shannon. New politics hasn't worked. What we need, members, here this morning is a government that can govern, that can make decisions. Okay, I want to bring Donica O'Leary in on this. Donica, your party has changed its position. You previously said you would only go in if you were the majority party. You're now willing to go in as a minority party, and you're open to talking to everybody, but nobody wants to talk to you. What's going to happen? Are you ready for a government? Are you actually genuinely going to do a deal with Fianna Fáil? Are you going to do a deal with Fianna Gael? Or, you know, is Sinn Féin, given the policies that it has had in your manifesto, obviously has been kicked around from pillar to post this week, are you even compatible with the other parties? Well, first, I, like, I, mean, I think it's interesting that Jerry acknowledges that new politics doesn't work, and I agree with that, but I think it's the first time I've heard a Fine Gael representative say that. Um, after the election, like, I mean, we're going to put ourselves forward, we're going to elect as many candidates as we can, and we do want to be in government. We have very detailed, uh, I believe high-quality policies that we want to deliver. And to be honest, I think some of this stuff is, I believe we have the most serious and honest position in relation to coalition. We will talk to other parties, we will gauge on the basis of our policies. There are big gaps. There are big gaps between us and some of the other parties on policy. But we want to debate and we want to negotiate. There were also big gaps between us and the DUP for quite some time. And we managed to deliver an arrangement along with the British and Irish governments there. And we have in the you past... You an assembly and it was gone for Well, like, I mean, look, I mean, there's an awful lot of water under the bridge there. There's an arrangement there now. There was previously a lot of delivery in the 10 years that the Assembly was up. There will be again. 
I have worked with, I would say, nearly every other public representative here on issues in the past. I'm willing to work on them in government or in opposition, but we are serious about being in government. Oliver Moran, the Green Party are the suitor of choice. They, everyone wants to go into government with the Greens at the moment. Um, but yet your own party doesn't seem to have one crystallised version of what you want to do in government. You have Eamon Ryan saying one thing, you have Saoirse McHugh saying another. How can anyone do business with the Greens if you can't get your own message coherent and straight? Uh, the fact that everybody is trying to take our clothes shows that our, our message is very coherent. Um, look, our, our, our position on going into government is, is very clear, always has been. We talk to everybody. I mean, you've been saying here tonight, or this, this morning, that people won't talk to Sinn Féin. We'll happily talk to Sinn Féin. I mean, we, we work with Sinn Féin in Northern Ireland Assembly. We'll work with them in, in the Dáil Éireann as well. Um, I disagree that, that new politics hasn't worked. I was one of those people very closely involved in the political reform agenda in 2016. I remember people saying that uh, minority government wouldn't last two, two weeks, never mind four years. It has worked. And I think the arrangements that will come after this election, I think it's too early now to start talking about what those arrangements will be. Because just like in 2016, the, uh, the new formation... Uh, of government in Ireland, which isn't re reliant upon majority government anymore. That's not possible anymore. It will continue to evolve after this election, and the Green Party will okay. be at the centre of that, Martin. no matter what it is. John, the Labour Party is also key to any of the arithmetic that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael uh, are, are looking to. But yet, talking to a number of your members, and we said it to, I said it to you before the event here, there are a number of your, your colleagues who are standing for election who said, if the Labour Party come back with less than 10 seats, going into government cannot be taken for granted. What's your view? Um, well, the first thing about Labour being in government is that it's the party membership decided. So whether John Mar tells you something here today is a personal view. There's 4,000 members of the Labour Party. That but there is decide. a question mark over it. It can't be taken for granted, essentially. No, there's not. Well, what will happen when the election comes, we'll have the numbers. And what I would say is that going on the numbers and going on the polls, but going on the issues is that we need to get over ourselves and we need to put our egos away and we need to start working together because we know now if the polls are reflective of what's going to happen, then it's going to be months of toing and froing and the people that don't have a home now don't deserve that. The infrastructure issues, the climate issues. Mm. And on the climate, just one comment, there's nobody stealing anybody's clothes. There was a cross-party uh, We will come to the climate issue. We will but there was a cross-party committee yeah. that put together measures that happened now. This, this, this doesn't happen overnight. I want to bring Sinead Halpin in. Sinead, the Social Democrats, a lot of people will say, you're just disaffected Labour. You don't really, you know, there's not a sheet of paper between yourself and the Labour Party. Why are you even here? Why can you not just make up and come back and form a, a proper party once again? Well, I suppose if I, if I agreed with all of the Labour Party issues, I would be a Labour Party member. Um, and most of my colleagues would say the same. Um, and I think that's really unfair because I suppose what we are bringing to the table is the fact that we don't have a history of, um, you know, voting one particular way or siding with one particular side to say that we are stuck there now. Our entire policy is evidence-based, is about how we can change our mind if the evidence says that, you know, there is new science out there, there's new technology out there, and we're going to move forward that way. Um, and I think as well, just to pick up on a couple of points here, uh, we're very lucky in terms of our system to not have first past the post, to have a system where we have a history of coalitions and to say that the only way of delivering stable government is single party, I think is extremely disingenuous and leading us down the pathway of American and UK I don't think anyone's saying that single party no, no. government isn't, isn't feasible or isn't <laughs> close to becoming feasible. But on the specific issues, we're going to come, we're moving into the, um, I suppose, the meat of the, this debate now. Well, can I just make one point? Jerry, I'm going to come back yeah, to you. Just one question. We are a parliamentary democracy. And as you know, our parliament is primordial. Therefore, you need a government that has a majority in parliament to get, get bills passed. 
to get legislation carried. Okay. And that's the point that hasn't happened, where you can't just go cap in okay. hand. Okay. You need to have okay. a government with a majority in power. Jerry, I want to come into you sure. on the first issue around um, infrastructure. And one of the key issues that the, um, the Chamber have raised is, the, is housing and housing and the density of housing within Cork city centre. If you come to, I, like, so I live in Dublin, you, you can't miss the cranes through the Dublin city skyline. There's an absence of cranes in the Cork city skyline. There isn't that sort of density of building. <coughs> Fine Gael are in office nine years, Jerry. Where are the apartments that people need? Not just for students, but for workers, for the companies, for the people here who need for, for their workforce. They're not being built. Why are they not being built? Well, first of all, just look behind you. Port of Cork, where you have the plans for a new apartment, the highest in the country. We have a 116 billion national development plan committed to developing and expanding sustainable regional development. And critical to that in this city here is an expanded Docklands and the growing of the Docklands. And under this government, we've facilitated, in partnership with Cork City Council and the Chamber, and I commend the Chamber's manifesto because it is what many of us aspire to for our city. In 2014, we had one social house built in Cork. This year, we will have 720 over the three-year well, period. I'm talking about affordable, no, no, housing, can, yeah, no. affordable housing for workers. The, the highest, the, the biggest affordable housing scheme will be in, the, will be in Boroughboy Road in Cork. When? It's commenced already, starting. So, so yes, we've had a decade, yes, we've had a decade where we've had no construction sector. But under our government, under Rebuilding Ireland, whether it's rebuilding, whether it's the, the home loan, whether it's investment in social housing, whether it's through the working with the private sector, we are beginning to see an increase in housing supply, and supply is okay. critical. Well, and Jerry, that's why this government okay. facilitated... Let me, ask you Let me ask you a question, Jerry. The big problem with your argument is, is that Fine Gael have promised an awful lot, but the big, big thing that undermines your argument is delivery. Dunkettle, M20, M28, the event centre... National Broadband Plan, the National Children's Hospital. The list goes on and on. You're very good at the photo ops. You're mm. not very good at getting stuff done. National Broadband Plan, just this week in Carrigaline, boots on the ground, work beginning. In terms of Dunkettle, work, we're facilitating it. In terms of Cork Limic Motorway, Cork McCroom. And the question I would pose this morning, based upon your question, is one of the most important pieces of infrastructure is Cork Limerick. That is connecting not just Cork and Limerick, but our second and third cities. And we're going to come Absolutely up. essential we're to the development of our city we're here I want and, to ask the, and the growth of balanced development. I want to ask and Mike. it's important that the Green Party stand up for Cork here today we'll come on to and that. say that they will commit to the M20. Jerry, we'll come on to that okay. because well, we're, I actually want to get into Oliver, let me, I just want, let, yeah. we're going to come into, I want to come on to that issue of the M20 specifically because I want to open it to everybody. But I do want to ask Michael McGrath this. The government have published a development plan, Ireland 2040. <coughs> if Fianna Fáil goes into office, will you commit to the delivery of that plan or will you tear it up? Well, the, the plan hasn't been delivered so far in terms of the timeline that was set up for what, what should be done by now. But I, I will come back to that. I want to just deal with the jury's attempt to try a grenade there a while ago at Micheál Martin, who isn't here uh, to defend himself. Micheál Martin was the only leader who stuck to his word after the last election and who stood up to the plate and provided leadership and ensured that this country had a stable government throughout the whole Brexit crisis. And I think that should be acknowledged mm. uh, because it is a fact. The specific question you put earlier on uh, was in relation to apartment development and getting more people back living in our city. And that has to be a core objective because that is about having sustainable communities, a sustainable future for our city. Cork Chamber produced an excellent report last September on the question of the viability of apartment 
development because we really need to deal with that. We're not seeing apartments being developed here within our city. We are proposing a contribution refund scheme. We've provided over 100 million euro, uh, which would provide for a refund of 5,000 euro per unit. Uh, we want to expand the availability of finance through the Home Building Finance Fund uh, to ensure that finance at more competitive rates is made available for the development of residential units within the city. We also need to do more with existing stock. If you walk around Cork City or Dublin City at night, look overhead, you see virtually no one living over shops, over offices. Mm. There's a lot of wasted okay. space because okay. our planning system is too rigid and that needs to be dealt okay. with and we'll reform the Living City Initiative and okay. improve it I want to bring and we will build affordable in. housing yeah. in the city. Oliver, the Green Party is a vote for the Green Party essentially, a vote against progress, a, pro, a vote against development. Essentially you want to object to everything and as ultimately for the people who want to get something done in this city, a vote for Green is, a, is exactly the wrong thing to do. Entirely not, probably the opposite. I think if you look at CMATS and, the, and my party's position on CMATS in the City Council, you you'll see the weird people who are most committed to it and most driving to it. You can, you can look at that, but CMATS hasn't been adopted yet, but we're already committed on the Wilton Road, uh, with, in fairness to Sinn Féin, also the only party in, in Cork City Council who backed that. Uh, you can see our commitment to the Patrick Street um, traffic restrictions, essential uh, to have restrictions like that across the city delivering public transport. And we're not only the people speaking for that, we're willing to go down there and enforce it ourselves, which I've literally done. On the docklands and on density of development, that is a key green agenda. That is about, sustain, about developing a sustainable city that has people living, working at the centre and not having to commute every day from the, from the outside, oh, which, which has that. all of the, the negative implications for climate change and also for people's lives. Yeah. If we want to attract people to the city, we must have a livable city, something that creates a buzz, something that people want okay. to come here, and that needs John city centre development. John Marr, the Cork Chamber of Commerce are very clear. There's not enough density of housing, affordable housing, in Cork city centre. What would the Labour Party do to, to uh, correct that? Well, the key is affordability. We can build all the apartments we want, but if people can't afford and working people, then we have an issue. The Labour Party has pledged a 16 billion... Pound. How much of that is related to Cork? As in, of the... Like 80, your party leader says there's 80,000 houses 80,000 houses. How many, yeah. days, how many of those well, are we, Cork? I, I don't know that answer, okay. and, but the thing is, is that we build it on public-owned land, which assures then, because we've, we've, we've relied on the market, and that hasn't delivered for us. So no, what we're saying is we'll build social and affordable housing. And also, to get into social housing, it gets this bad name or bad rap. Okay, that's wrong. A lot of people benefited from a social house. We need to increase the threshold so that working people can get a home. Because at the moment, we have a, we have a list, a homelessness list that we don't count. Yeah. It's people living with mum and dad that can't afford a house. They're trying to save because rents are too expensive, and yeah. we, need to, we need to solve that. Sinead Halpin, you know, the impact of not being able to buy a home in terms of, you know, from a company's point of view, you can't, get a, you can't expand your workforce. From an from a individual's point of view, you can't raise a family in a, in, in a decent home. What are the Social Democrats offering, particularly in terms of Cork City Centre, uh, to, to address that shortage of affordable housing for young families who want to uh, you know, make their way in the world? Um, well, I suppose the, the core issue there is not just attracting people, but keeping people here. We have a fantastic history of um, you know, people moving to, to Cork and then two or three years later, once they actually decide to try and buy, they 
run into the lack of affordability issue. We are looking at the Vienna model in terms of uh, affordable renting and also affordable purchase as well. Um, and it's something that we really need to um, work on in terms of having the livable city initiative also. Talk to me about specifics. I'm hearing yep. very vague sort of aspirational So the ideas. specifics in terms of the Vienna model, in yep. terms of the affordability, is where you specifically look at somebody's ability to pay. Mm. And then you work on a percentage that they are able to pay towards pay, their rent. How much is that going to cost the taxpayer? Uh, in in terms of taxpayers, you know, you're still going to be building the same amount of houses. You're still going to be getting the rent back. There's going to be very little cost to the taxpayer because, you know, instead of supplying social housing and affordable housing for uh, purchase, you're actually getting the rent in on a consistent basis. And that stock then stays within the system so that when somebody decides to move out of the affordable rental model and into affordable purchase model, you have that stock in the system as well. Okay. So, you know, if anything, we're saving the taxpayer money. Before I come to Donna Coelier, just to say to everybody, we're coming to the issue of transport next so if you want questions if you have any questions you want to ask do it through the Slido app and we'll get to them while, while we go into the transport. Donica, housing, Sinn Féin, what are you proposing and what can you do for Cork because again coming down on the train yesterday she was speaking to somebody, a father, he has two kids, one's 35, one is 34, both of them still living at home, both have jobs but they cannot get on the property ladder. What are Sinn Féin going to do to, to address that problem? Well obviously there's a national as well as a local element. Nationally we're talking about 100,000 affordable and social houses. Uh, and a, How much is that going to cost? Uh, I think it's uh, about six billion, but I'd have to check that now against the yeah, yeah, yeah. Check it here. Yeah, um, um, it's obviously a very significant sum, but like I mean, I think in many respects the savings there as well, because we've it's incredible that for the first time in the history of the state, uh, you will have more spent on subsidies to emergency accommodation and private landlords mm. uh, than you will on building social and affordable housing directly by the state. So that's what we want to do, uh, and it is very much affordable too. And I think it's important, I'm not sure that the approach of providing subsidies to uh, first-time buyers is the approach, because yes, that helps individual families and individuals, but it doesn't actually create more houses. It's direct intervention by the state that's needed mm -hmm. to build more houses. In terms of Cork, uh, I've met with Cork Chamber and the, the, the Construction Association in relation to their report. There is an issue. Uh, in the way that our city is shaped. So you have young professionals, you could have three single young professionals living in a three-bed semi in Grange or Frankfield or, or Mayfield or wherever, whereas they probably want to live in the city centre. And the people who might want to take that three-bed could be living out in Mogili or Boeing or whatever. They need to be in the city. <coughs> what we want to do is, and I, I, I don't agree with all that report, but one of the things we want to, to do is we want to move the Land Development Association agency to an active land management uh, agency that is aggressively targeting uh, land that's okay. idle, putting in place a master plan and developing okay. what we need for the city. Michael McGrath, Fianna Fáil, your big plan is an SSA, SSIA type scheme for renters. Is this not just a return to Fianna Fáil of old, that money will just simply filter through to the people who are, who are going to sell the house and inflate the market? Um, no, certainly not. I mean, it is a recognition that for many people who are trying to get on the property ladder, getting the deposit together uh, is a real challenge and a challenge that they cannot meet in many cases. Um, it is only one measure. Uh, we are proposing that it would be allowed to be used in relation to the purchase of second-hand properties as well, uh, because the reality is in many communities throughout the country, uh, there are no new building developments, and where there are 
they are, they are quite expensive relative to uh, a similar second-hand property. We would retain the Help to Buy scheme as well in relation to new properties and provide uh, additional funding to do so. But the cornerstone really for us uh, on the housing side uh, is the development of affordable housing. And if you compare and contrast what we are saying with others, Fine Gael, for example, have provided no extra money whatsoever for the development of affordable housing. We have provided funding. Uh, it's a half a okay. billion a year, two and a half billion euro, to build 50,000 affordable okay. houses above and beyond what's already in the base. They, and Jerry has referenced one scheme that is underway. That's underway, Jerry, because of the 300 million we secured in the second last budget. Okay. We're going to bring Jerry no extra money. We, we do have to move uh, on. So the money. Jerry Butler. Yeah, this year we're allocating 2.6 billion in terms of current and capital funding for new housing. So let's be fair. Do we go back to the old days of Charlie McCreevy to have it as spend it? Or do we continue the model that we give 30,000 or 10 percent to the home buyer? And I'll be the first to acknowledge uh, that we have a road to travel in housing. And there, there is a lot we can do. And we had a decade where we had no construction sector. But let's be honest with people. We need to increase supply. We need to work with city and county councils Jerry, the to only ensure, if I can just say this, if I can say this, we need to work together to ensure that the bureaucracy in red tape doesn't hinder, but rather progresses development. And then we need to ensure that we have a platform where people can, can, can aspire to have an affordable house, a social house, or their own private house. And I that's what we're trying to do. 2.6 billion. Then. I know, Grant. Again, it goes back to the delivery aspect. Since 2014, when Alan Kelly was housing minister, housing was des described as an emergency, uh, and mm. five or six years on, it's getting worse. Now, yes, there's been a temporary slowdown in, in uh, you know, homelessness, but we're, I suppose the, for the purpose of this morning's <coughs> meeting, it's about affordable housing for young families trying to get on the property ladder. There is no progress being made. And, and, and ultimately, you, that's why Owen Murphy has been benched in this campaign, because he's nowhere to be seen, because you know the record cannot be stand, you can't stand over your record. Well, I think our record on housing, we have started a process. It is slow. In this city alone, 1,000 student apartments have been constructed, which frees up housing units for people to come in, to regenerate, to reinvest in many different parts of the city. In addition, in this city, again, 4,600 housing units received planning permission last year. Again, a sign of, of progress, stabilization and house prices. Mm. Supply is being ratcheted up. Supply is being increased. And I'm the first to admit it's stubbornly slow. And all of us in Fine Gael are committed to... So why would people vote for you if it's well, totally slow? Because it's about ensuring that we don't go back to the bad old days of I have it, I spend it. It's also about ensuring that we maintain the progress. And we've seen this month housing homeless figures re okay. being reduced. That's okay. more people exiting homelessness, more people okay. being in their own home. But I in addition... On. I want to move on to okay. the issue of uh, transport and, and infrastructure. Oliver Moore, and your party leader, I think, shocked a lot of people. Uh, and particularly a lot of people in the business community when he came out against investing in roads. And one of the key national road projects that's been slated for d delivery and development is the M20 between Cork and Limerick. Do you individually support that project? If in government would the Greens stop it? Or where do you stand in relation to the M20, which an awful lot of people in this room want to see get built? I think people in this room are being misled by Fine Gael, first of all. The designation of that road as the M20 is essentially a lie. Uh, the government themselves published uh, uh, updated plans for uh, Project Ireland 2040 on the 7th of January. And within that, they outlined the routes that are being looked at currently by the, by the design company. Three out of four of those routes use the M8. So calling this road the M20 is very disingenuous. It's very unfair so to would people you stop who it? live along that road. 
I have written already about the need for a motorway between Cork and Limerick. Uh, and I've written on the opportunity which the M8 route would, would, would give. First of all, in being more cost-effective in connecting Cork and Limerick, mm. but also further down the line in giving an opportunity to link Cork, Limerick and Waterford. Yes, the in, the in 20 which I use myself very regularly, I'm from County Mayo, so I know that road very well, and my colleague on the south side is from, is from Limerick, so she knows the road very well. That road needs upgrades. It needs sensible upgrades for, well, your for party our safety says, of people there. Let's, let's take the money from that. No, what, 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 what he said was that it doesn't make sense, and actually government briefing documents have also essentially said the same thing. The Irish Times uh, yesterday uh, showed government briefing documents which said that, yes, the, M, the N20 route uh, made sense in the past, implying it doesn't make sense now. And the M8 route, which four, with three out of the four routes being examined, um, are, are looking at, that, to me, makes more sense. But me and my party, here in Cork and in Limerick, are committed to that process. And I, I would prefer if all parties were committed to the process of looking at the design of that road, rather than turning it into a political football. It is the transport equivalent of the event centre sod. It gets turned around at every election, and it is not fair to the people in this room who need that, that connectivity. It's not fair, fair to the people of Charleville and Mallow who need that road upgraded. And it's not fair to the economy of Munster, which needs interconnectivity between our regional cities. But you know what you're saying here is going to not annoy the hell out of people, but shock an awful lot of people in this room because they have been screaming for this road for... They should look at Jerry Bodimer. Hmm? His government published documents which three out of four routes used M8. Hmm. They, I, if I'm telling people this news, it shouldn't be news from me. It should be news from Jerry Bodimer. It's his government... I, must, I have to let Jerry... Jerry, you have to come in on that. Our position has been totally clear and unambiguous. We are committed to the construction of the Cork Limerick motorway. It's part of Ireland 2040. In fact, if you, want to re if you want to have the real answer here, if you go back to the Dáil vote where people voted against the Ireland Project 2040, including Fianna Fáil, to take money away from Rose projects. So our government are committed. Our government, let me make it quite clear this morning. Let me make it quite clear this morning. Our government is committed to Cork Limerick Motorway. The process has begun. And you mentioned the event centre, Oliver. To be fair to the Tornister, in his absence this morning, he is the only senior politician in the Oireachtas who has stood by, has worked to, to get the event centre to the point where it is today, and government funding has never been wavering. So let's give credit in terms of the event centre. It was the vision of Fine Gael and government. If I may just finish this point. It was the vision of Fine Gael and government, and we will have an event centre in Cork. Where's the event centre and where's the Cork Limerick motorway? We will have an a event centre in Cork. A lot of talk for two years. It was the Taoiseach himself, as Minister for Transport, who pulled the Cork Limerick Unlike motorway. the Greens, okay, okay. we are committed to the Taoiseach himself. Connectivity between Cork and Limerick. Yeah. And you know, Oliver, the bedrock of good, good business is to have that connectivity. Michael McGrath. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, Oliver made a good point there. It actually was Leo Varadkar as Minister for Transport who stopped in its, tr its tracks uh, even the progression of the scheme through detailed design and planning and so on. We'd be a lot further down the road, to pardon the pun, uh, in relation to the M20 at this stage if that preparatory work had at least been done uh, over the last number of years. But just to be crystal clear on where Fianna Fáil stands, 
the M20 must be built. If we look at the economic cost of not doing so, uh, it is absolutely enormous. And if we are in any way serious about balanced regional development, uh, connecting the second two largest cities uh, in the Republic outside of Dublin is an absolute prerequisite. prerequisite. It will be Mark. enormously positive uh, for Cork and for Limerick. Okay. And if you look at the interurban motorway built in the early part of this millennium, where would we be now? If Michael, we I want to bring John. John, the Labour Party, yes or no, it's the M20. Uh, uh, yes, uh, and anybody look at the work that Sean Sherlock has been doing um, in ensuring it happens. I work for a Limerick company. I know the importance of that road, but we were talking about political footballs, and it's something that hasn't been mentioned without infrastructure, is the North Ring Road for Cork. It's not just a benefit for the north side of Cork, it's a, it's a, it's a benefit for Cork as a community, and there is no commitment to 2027 is when we're only going to start looking at it. And again, to create a counterbalance on the south side, for all of us here, it's so important that this becomes an issue. It will okay. take the, trucks out, of our, it will take the yeah. trucks out of our communities at the moment. It will allow us to do everyday things like go to work, go training, do whatever we have to do. And then we will open up the, the, our community roads for cycle lanes and, and bus corridors. At the moment, we can't do that because we've truck after truck after truck. And okay. the, the North Ring Road yep. needs to be a priority for the next couple okay, Halpin. Social Democrats, if in government, will you support the conclusion and the completion of the M20? So we support absolutely the upgrading of the work of the road. Um, I suppose the, like I said, in terms of calling it a motorway, calling it the M20. Um, you know, we need to look at whether or not we're interested in moving people or whether or not we're interested in moving traffic, and that's what we ultimately need to look at so is that a yes as or an no? entire whole. <laughs> it's a yes, but uh, you know, we also need to be looking at getting the people that are in those cars out of those cars along mm. the route as oh, well. We're going to come on. To public transport in a minute, but I just mm -hmm. wanted to kind of nail this issue. Donegal O'Leary, uh, Sinn Féin, like, as I said, like, you know, any of the literature I've read about the M20, like, businesses wanted, commuters wanted, families wanted to connect. I mean, I've driven that road between Limerick and, and Cork many, many times. Yeah. It is not a safe road, in, in my view, as it is. Does, does Sinn Féin support the completion and, the, and the, the conclusion of that project? Yeah, like, I mean, there's a number of explicit, and I suppose any manifesto, there's only so much you can say on any local uh, or any particular part of the country, but we've explicitly committed to the M20 and explicitly committed to the delivery of the Metropolitan Transport Strategy. Um, in relation to the idea of routing it by the MA, and look, I believe that these are, I suppose, ideas proposed in good faith, but it's my own view that if you go up the M8 and turn at Mitchellstown for a motorway to Cork Limerick, people will still use the old Cork Limerick road. Uh, because I, I don't think that you'll, you'll save time going the motorway. People coming from the north side of the city, will, in particular, will still use uh, the existing N20 route. I want to bring uh, so I think for safety, for infrastructure, you need a motorway link as uh, between your two, ma your okay. two major southern cities. Okay. I just want to kind of go to some of the questions that have been posed by the floor already. Um, this is an interesting one. No name on, on the person who sent it in, but considering the average salary in Ireland and factoring the 3.5 um, times salary cap and mortgages, what's the fair price that people think is, is, is affordable for single parents? And uh, People might want to come in on that. Um, will your party, this is from Michelle O'Sullivan, will your party, and I can put this out to everybody, uh, increase spending to build strong foundations for growing regions, increase public transport funding, social infrastructure, and actually we might, that's a good segue into the, the local transport uh, for, for Cork City. So, Duncan, very quickly, um, affordable housing, you know, uh, I suppose we, we've dealt with that primarily, but very quickly, I mean, what do you think is a, an affordable level? What should people really be paying uh, for an apartment or a house? Well, look, I mean, obviously that depends on where it is, but, like, I mean, I think some of the schemes that you're talking about are affordable, and really the price is about 320 That's right. not affordable. But uh, can I deal with the public transport yeah. stuff? Are you going to come back yeah. to me? No, no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, um, so I, I would say, you know, in around 200 maybe a bit south or north of that. Um, 
The, like, I mean, I've made a priority in the last four years of trying to raise public transport issue. I raise regularly the issue of light rail before it was even really talked about by the department. It was included in CMATS. I intend to continue to pursue that. We are committed to funding CMATS, but it can't just be a long-term vision and things like light rail well, may happen. To see delivery now exactly, that's, that's, what I, that's yeah. precisely what I'm saying. So what I think we need to do is we have a significant 2 billion or 1.2 billion additional investment beyond what's in the, the development programme. In the short term, what we need is we need to make sure that cycling is safe and we need to invest in the frequency of our public transport. The, two, uh, the 220 is a big success, needs to be rolled out in the inner suburbs every 15 minutes. But I also think ahead of light rail, we need to be looking at what they've achieved in Belfast with the glider system. Okay. Bus rapid Honourable. transit can to be a precursor Honourable. to light rail. Both issues. What's an, what's an affordable price to pay for an apartment for an up-and-coming uh, for a family? And talk to me about your plans for local uh, transport sure. uh, improvements. Uh, so the the average uh, household income is uh, forty forty five thousand, which gives a mortgage of two hundred twenty thousand, and that's the long and the short of it. I, I think it's telling that everybody here um, today. Uh, no matter what party you're from, all of our manifestos commit to having the state more involved in housing. I think the paradigm of a hands-off approach to housing has simply, is simply dead from this election. Okay. Whether that is supporting uh, people in buying houses or whether that's direct involvement is one or the other. Mm. Uh, on transport, 100% committed to CMAT. Um, it, is, it will take incredible political will to deliver. I've seen that uh, on the first 200 metres on, on Wilton Road. Um, we cannot, cannot, cannot return political parties who go wobbly when it comes to the vote to deliver this. Um, I think the backlash the day after that vote in, in City Hall was, was very telling. Uh, ahead of it, there was great resistance from residents along the road. The okay. next day, so it, it was from commuters and uh, businesses. Okay, Michael McGrath, Fianna Fáil again are in terms of delivery. Um, you know, where are you standing in terms of an affordable price to pay sure. for, for an apartment? And then, like, one of the big issues that both Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil, because you predominantly have dominated power for, for, since the foundation of the state, have dragged your heels in delivering proper local transport links, you know, commuter buses, you know, bus corridors, etc., like that. What are you guys proposing at this stage? Okay, so in relation to affordable housing, I mean, the, the key thing through that scheme is to use publicly owned land, uh, which is debt free. And, and if, the, if the land is debt free, then there's a contribution through the service sites fund of 50,000 euro per unit towards the cost of service in that land. So then you're, you build a home, uh, you don't have the, the taxation element that a private development would have, so you could comfortably do a Within, between 200 and 250,000 okay. euro for, uh, for that. That's a, a key point. Uh, on the transport side, so we are awaiting the final um, um, report in relation to the Metropolitan Area Transport Strategy. Um, I made a submission on, on the draft plan, made a number of, of points on that. Donica rightly referenced the 220 bus service, which is the one that serves the community where I live in Cargilline. A great success. They went 24 hour, increased the frequency to every 15 minutes at peak time, and the passenger number has increased by 70% in the last 12 months. So if you provide it, people will use it, but there's no point having buses that are just joining the same traffic queue as the cars. We do need to build the infrastructure okay. uh, for bus lanes and okay. improve cycling infrastructure. John Marr, is it, is it 200, is it 250, 300? <coughs> What's the Again, affordability, it's, it's affordable if you, can, if you are earning the money. We say average wage, you know, we know that the average wage, averages can be skewed. So what we need to do is we need to build affordable and social houses. Again, I've, I've, I've said earlier on is that the threshold into, into social housing should be increased so that people can afford it. I'm saying for John Marr, 200,000 is okay. affordable, but that's me. Yeah. On the public transport, um, we have 
uh, the lads just gave uh, um, an explanation on the south side of how, of how the increased frequency on a bus, 24-hour service, 1.3 million passengers used it last year, an increase of 70%. As, as Michael said, we need that on the north side. We need to build trust with our public transport. At the moment, if you're getting up in the morning, we are a bit slow to trust the bus because they, the stories come back to us time and time again. They don't show up. They're not in time. I miss my appointment. I miss college. We need to think outside the box as well. Okay. We have a river behind us. Yeah. The idea of a river taxi, and one final point, the CMAT system, I'm a city councillor that voted against this 200, this 200 metre stretch of road we're, we're talking about on the Wilton Road. I didn't do that because I'm against cycleways or bus corridors. I did it because we can't be, that's not ambitious. 200 metres, and we think that's going to solve our problems. No, but it's we a start, think, is it? No, no, it's not. We need to think bigger. We are dealing with people, we, and when we're talking with communities, we can't tell them we're going to solve problems with just 200 if metres. If we can't pass 200 metres of a bus lane, we won't pass 14 We, were, we, we, we wanted to pass 200 metres to a roundabout to nowhere. That's what we wanted. Ye all drive it yourselves, ye see it. You go up the Wilton okay. Road, and you, you hit bring, the Wilton roundabout the to traffic. Sinead, affordability of housing price range, what are the SOC Dems talking about? And talk to me about uh, local transport improvements. Well, I suppose just to bring it back to uh, what you're being looked at when you're working out the mortgage calculations. When I was applying for my own mortgage, I was holding a coat in front of my belly because I was six months pregnant. So if we take the, uh, you know, the, the services like childcare and actually make that more affordable, then we make affordability in terms of housing mm. more of a, an option for people. And again, linking into percentage of income. And I think the example that you were given was actually a, sing a single person, um, you know, who you know, if we frame everything around that person and we make it more affordable for them, we make it more affordable for everybody. And in terms of transport, the lack of an orbital in Cork City is the reason why I drive. Um, I'm from Farnry. My, uh, I went to CIT. The 201 bus was so unreliable. I was leaving my house before a person living in Kerry was leaving theirs because they were able to drive. Okay. So, I mean, we need to know where people are coming from, where they're going to. And we also need to take into account change okay. journeys yeah. for women in particular who have drop-offs two or three times along the way, and okay. all of that data needs to be gathered. Jerry, I, I come to you last on this, and I'm just wondering, do you and your party have no shame, given the fact that the, clearly this, the infrastructure in the city and the transport links in the city are nowhere near where they need to be? And you can blame legacy issues of Fianna Fáil all you like. You're in government nine, nine years, or you can blame Shane Ross all you like as Minister for Transport. But you guys have dropped the ball on this, and you haven't listened to the needs of your own city, city people and ultimately, you guys have let this happen. The failures and the, 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 the shortcomings in local transport is your record in office. You mustn't be here in Cork too long, Danny, because we've seen an expansion of the city bus service. We spoke there about the new 220, 24-hour, new cycle lanes, investment in an alternative to the car, commitment to the Cork Metropolitan Area Transport Strategy, commissioned by this government. The public consultation phase just finished, about to be launched. Action is happening. And I know you reference shame or whatever, but we had a last decade. Now we're beginning in the second half of recovery to invest. No, no, but it's easy. I don't buy this. I know you don't. I read you every Saturday. I know you don't buy it. I know you don't buy it, Jerry, Jerry, don't buy it but you have, to, you, have to, you have to have honesty here. And if you I don't know, have honesty, yeah, you've okay, got you nothing. No, 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 you're lecturing me and I'm going to lecture you back. Let's not shout each other You have to have honesty You have to have honesty. You have to have honesty with people. Jerry, with respect. We have a Cock Metropolitan Area Strategy being published. The draft period is over. Look around our city. Look around our city. New bicycle lanes, investment in. It wasn't government's fault that Cock City Council voted against the Wilton bus corridor. Jerry, now, are you going to say to me that was Simon Coveney? No, Jerry, no, the point I'm going to make, Jerry, is that 
Fine Gael have started since the start of this campaign. You've only had two years in terms of having money. You started cutting taxes in 2014. Please. You've had money since 2014, and things have not happened. That's my point. So I think, well, I I think Fianna Fáil, or sorry, I think Fine Gael and your party are, are the ones being disingenuous about your, how you're spinning this particular no, narrative. And However... And, it both, and the contrary, in fact, actually. We have always said, and everything we've predicated upon is that we've a certain amount of work done, and we've more to carry on and do. A lot done. And I'd accept, yeah, well, that's a, that, you know, that is actually the truth. And you must remember one thing, and it's convenient for some to forget. We had a decade where there was no investment, we had a deficit, we know it was surplus, and that surplus means you can invest. We had 15.8 unemployment. There was people leaving this city in droves. Today they're coming back. Look at Cork today. Let's be proud about our city. Cork is not a basket case. Cork is the best small city in Europe in which to do business as by the Financial Times. So let's be clear about this. There is more investment in Cork happening under this government than there was in the past. Okay. Yes, we haven't got everything perfect. 10,000 new jobs in our city. One billion office development. 38% new hotel rooms. 1,000 new student apartments. Didn't happen because we clicked our fingers. Right. It happened because government okay. had a plan because there was synergy with the city and county council. And if you want to have an honest debate about Cork, then let's have it. Okay, I want to move on because I want to, one of the issues I want to uh, get to is the environment and climate change. And one of the big issues that the Chamber have raised are proper and adequate flood defences for Cork City. Oliver Moore, and I want to come to you. You're anti-walls, according to your own literature I read last night. Are you not willing to get your own city ready for the inevitable rising of fl uh, tides here, and why are you willing to jeopardise <coughs> the businesses, the communities, for the sake of aesthetics? Um, I think the biggest question about the flood defence scheme is to a public confidence, and the interaction between uh, civil society in, in, in this city uh, with the OPW and the city council, and an entirely dysfunctional relationship which has developed there, which has um, which has got to the point where it is blocking progress on this very vital issue, no matter which approach you take, whether you are in favour of the wall scheme, whether you are in favour of uh, a, a, um, a tidal barrier, or whether you will be looking upstream to tackle uh, flooding like that. What I have done since being elected to Cork City Council is to bring Save Cork City uh, into the City Council, to, to arrange meetings between the executive, to facilitate uh, representatives of Save Cork City being put on the Strategic Planning Committee in order to develop that relationship. Because the people in this room who are in business know that relationships is what matter. Yeah, but it, and it, 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 when we have a relationship like there is now over this issue between the people of this city who continually object to every stage along the walls and the OPW and City Council which is trying to force every stage along the walls. We won't get the walls. But your, we won't get anything. Your objection is, on, is, from what I can gather, it's an ideological objection and there's absolutely no practical solution in terms of resolving the issues. That's what I'm getting from you. We, right now, there is no practical solution to resolving the issue because of that dysfunctional relationship. What we in the Green Party are calling for in our manifesto is for an independent review of the, the flood defence. How long will that take? It does. Look, we're not going to get it if we don't if we don't do this review because there will be so many objections that the thing won't get built. When they try to build it on Morrison Island, it's in the High Court. They try to build it on, on Albert Quay, it's in the High Court. It's not going to get built unless we get public confidence behind this scheme Michael or McGrath. behind another scheme, yeah. and that is what okay. an independent. We'll bring review Michael McGrath here on this, Michael. Look, we have to protect our city. There are businesses in the city that are one more flood event away from being out of business and out of business for good. They've come back already from a number of flood events. The OPW do flood schemes very well. 
you look at Clonmel, uh, Mallow from Moy, right around the country, the schemes they've implemented have been successful. I think they've gone a long way to listen uh, to the concerns that have been raised and they have significantly amended the scheme. I'm not a flood expert. I don't know enough about tidal barriers or the scheme that the OPW have brought forward, okay. but I think it's time to move on. We have to protect our city, otherwise it could come at a huge economic cost. Time, and I do want to get to the issue of taxation after this. So don't sure. earlier on the flood barrier or on the flood defences. Where do you stand? Well, I would have a similar position to Oliver, albeit probably coming from a different different perspective like I mean I if a flood if a flood barrier works then I'm all for it but uh, I'm not convinced that it will work but I do think um, that there have been enough questions raised it is the case Michael is right that uh, the OPW's proposals have certainly improved significantly in terms of the public realm and how they appear but I do think to restore public confidence in this a brief uh, review to be concluded in about six months is politically necessary to ensure the confidence of the people in Cork in whatever solution is going to be delivered John I think Mar that's necessary very quickly yeah absolutely there needs to be a review newly elected since May last year <clears throat> I'm not an engineer um, and when you listen to both sides of the story everyone makes a, a a valid argument but I think no it's very emotive and for us to make a decision I do think an independent review needs to take place. Sinead? Yeah I agree and I suppose my side as well is the fact that the OPW uh, case hasn't included a full archaeological survey in terms of what they might be digging up and what delays that might include and also I'm old enough to remember the main drainage scheme and what that did to Cork City Centre businesses and I don't want to see that happening again okay. I think one flood event might shut down a few businesses the you know the entire shutdown of the city will shut down even more if we're looking at so what, such a, a large are scale... Pardon? Yeah. Like, Not I mean, at all, Mike, but what Mike I mean... McGrath has basically said a number of businesses are yep. one flood event away from closing. Mm. And you're now saying basically... No, I'm saying, I'm saying that we haven't no weighed up all the options. And if we can protect those businesses and also the other businesses that are going to be massively affected by having a type of project that's going to drive pedestrians okay. and public transport okay. and all sorts of transport okay. out Jerry, of the city. Very quickly, Jerry Butler, because I want to get to the issue of taxation. Yeah, this is important, though. This is about Cork as well. There's 140 million of government money available for a flood relief scheme. Three out of four flood events in Cork are fluvial. We are one flood away from another disaster. And I've been in the homes and the businesses of people affected by flooding. And it's incumbent upon us now. And I would challenge those opposed to the scheme. Go up to Belfast and look at what they've done in Belfast. And the people that carry out that work are involved here in Cork. We need a flood defence scheme. We need it now. We can't wait any longer. We can't wait reviews. We've had a lot of public consultation. We've had a lot of engagement. This is about the people who live in our city, and it's about the business owners who are at the okay. heartbeat of our city. We have about five minutes left before we get to open the, uh, the, 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 the event to Q&A from the floor. Donico O'Leary, your manifesto this week has come in for intense criticism, 22 billion worth of additional spending, and some pretty heavy tax increases proposed for your wealthy earners, you know, those over 100,000. I'll just read a few of them here. Uh, tax on, tangible, uh, on intangible assets, you hope to raise up to 722 million. A 5% levy on all incomes over 140. Taper out tax credits on individual incomes over 140,000. Uh, a wealth tax for the wealthiest 1% in the state. Uh, and introduce a 15.75% 15, 15, uh, rate of employer's BRSI on portions of salary over 100,000 100, euro. You will destroy business if you introduce that. No, I don't remotely accept that. And an awful lot of those proposals exist in uh, places like Britain, where they were introduced by the Conservative Party. Uh, so you're going to raise four billion, three point eight billion, by introducing all those. The fundamental assumption in your figures is that people's behaviour will not change. If business owners, wealthy people, see these changes coming in, they will run a mile. Is that not true? No, I don't accept that. Because you see, the thing is, like, you have to look at what we're 
like people's income isn't just about what comes in, it's about what goes out too. And like, I mean, what we're very focused on is we have a cost of living crisis. It affects every employer and every employee in the city. Uh, like, I mean, the cost of childcare in the city and across the state is absolutely prohibitive. It is preventing people going back to work. So what, yes, we are asking people who are on higher honours to contribute more, but in return for that, they get additional GP visits, they get more nurses and they get more consultants. And they also reduce the cost of childcare by up to 500 euro per child. Uh, that's going to be a significant amount back to people. It's going to facilitate people going back to work. We're going to make houses more affordable. I know, but two yeah, like, we're not being dishonest I know, but Dunica, but two measures alone, abolish the USC on the first 30,000 euro earned, cost 1.2 billion a year. Abolish the local property tax, which, you know, the IMF, the Troika, every economic expert after the crash said, you need to widen your tax base. And the property tax was a clear way of doing that. You want to abolish it. You're going against what common sense prevails or common sense suggests, and you're narrowing the tax base at the very time you need to broaden it. But you can't, at the one hand, say that the tax increases that we're going to put in place are going to, you know, have such an impact on people's incomes, and then at the same time criticise us for offering targeted tax increases at people who need well, most. You're talking about tax culture. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So you can't, you can't have a both ways. We are saying, yes, those on higher earners should contribute more. My We're not being dishonest. Yeah, my give my people, question is we about want the sustainability every, of them. What we, they're not credible, I think. Is no, it, no, is they're absolutely credible, and they've been costed, and I believe okay, well, many I mean, of them are in place. No, I need to answer this now. This is important. Okay. We, have a, we have a philosophy that is... And you'd hear a lot of people talking about, well, we contribute and we get nothing back. We want every taxpayer, we want every family to get things back. We want them to get help with healthcare. We want them to have affordable housing. We want them to have help Michael with McGrath. childcare. That's our philosophy. Michael, That's what we want to do. Michael McGrath, I spoke to you the other night. You described the stuff. It's a manifesto straight out of the world of Santa Claus. You described it as dangerous and fiscally irresponsible. Yes, um, that is what I believe. I mean, if you take the issue of the tax base, um, if you implemented the Sinn Féin plans, more than one in three income earners would make no contribution whatsoever to USC or income tax. That's not sustainable. You're narrowing the base further by eliminating the local property tax. It's not clear, by the way, how local government would then be funded to make up for that shortfall. And when it comes to corporation tax, you know, we have to be very careful mm -hmm. about making unilateral changes after the event. Changing the goalposts removes the certainty that we have in our country in relation what, what to our corporation that, tax system. What proposal that, that is the change that you're proposing in relation to capital allowances and intangible assets. Which is, as you've always said, a timing issue, and they're probably going to pay that anyway. Instead of being able to write off 100%, yeah, they so can the, write off 80%. So point and so at this time that we need capital investment, we accrue it now. They're going to spend it anyway, and actually you're offering people greater certainty. And see the person who okay. came up with that. It's Seamus so Coffey, okay. the chair of the fiscal advisory so committee. The point, first you call of all, him dangerous. You call him the dangerous, first of all, The first point in response, Donnick, is if it's a timing issue, you shouldn't include it in your numbers. Because it's going to come anyway in due course. Okay. That's not a budgetary issue, okay. it's a timing issue. And it's not included in the budgetary well, number. It's, well, 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 on a second. it's clearly I mean, acknowledged that's, that, that's a basic budgetary principle. Jez, it's we're a running. timing issue, it's not additional I want to open it up to the floor, Jerry. I want to open the, the issue. Can I, just make, can I just make one point? Very quickly, one 40 sec seconds. 3.8 billion of extra taxes will be paid by all of you in this room, business people, business leaders, and employees and employers. That's what Sinn Féin are proposing. It's reckless. Okay. I want to just read out some of the uh, comments from the floor uh, from, from one person, here, no name given. What is needed is to reduce the time taken to acquire the relevant consents for major projects and the bottleneck in the courts as the judicial review is now regular. It's a fair point. Uh, construction sector output grew 12% last year, but the number of construction workers grew by 4%. Where are the people going to come from to build all these new projects? That's also a very good point. Let me just see if I can get one more. 
Um, Michael Deneen says, the Chinese built hospitals in a week and our process is broken. Why? The process needs to be revamped. Public procurement is not realistic. Um, we are now at a stage, I think we have a roving mic, and we're going to start opening up to a Q&A to the floor. So uh, if anyone wants to put up their hands, um, this gentleman here. And we have about 20 minutes. So, Thank you. Uh, hello, everybody. Eamon Dwyer is my name uh, from Invesco. Um, with our um, aging population, um, improving life expectancy uh, despite a dysfunctional health system, uh, where do the candidates uh, stand on the state pension age? Uh, my view is it should be pushed out to 70. We can't afford it to stay where it is, not to mind reduce. Okay. Nice and quickly. Donica. I'd just say that to a floor layer or a mason. Say to a floor layer or a mason that you want them to work to 70. Not a hope. It's, it's not, okay. I can't understand, like listen, we do have to look at these two overall, uh, and I do believe we should look at incentives okay. in relation to tax, got, but really like asking up. for a uniform increase at that level is nuts, it's nuts. Oliver. Very similar to, to Dunnick, my father was a roofer, he retired at 55, he couldn't go on any longer. Like we, we have to take a flexible approach to, to retirement, but some jobs, they, okay. they don't finish at 65. I want to get as longer, many people in, so Michael, we have to take a flexible approach. We don't think it's fair that people who've worked all their life, maybe 40 years or more, have to go on the dole before they get a pension. And so we believe that there should be a transition pension for those who actually retire at 65, and we will set up a commission on pensions to review the okay. entire sustainability of pensions. John Marshall. Um, yeah, again, we're, we're calling for it to stay at 66. For people who have done their hard, they've done the hard work, my dad's a scaffolder and he's 60 and he's struggling at this stage, so it's like the other examples. But I've also met an 80-year-old canvassing who's still working. Yeah. So what we need to do is we need to provide that option there for people that want to okay. work. And then for people... Nice and tight. Yeah, um, so I suppose my dad was corporation labourer, so very much in terms of that heavy work, and he passed away when he was 60. He didn't ever get the uh, opportunity to retire, so we support the uh, the reduction of the pension aid, but we also support flexibility, the ability to, to work longer. Uh, I know that's been coming into some sectors, but not all. Uh, and also we need to look at a reduction of uh, working hours in general, now that we're looking at more efficiencies and having more flexibility in terms of four-day week, and that could also stretch out the ability for okay. more people to work longer. Jerry Butler, I'll just put this very quickly to you. Do you accept that your government dropped the ball on this because you've had to scramble to kind of kind of catch up with everybody over the last since the start of the campaign? I think if we're all honest, everyone did. But we have it the question is a very honest question that needs to have a real discussion about because we are living longer. There are more pensions and workers in the country and we must look at how we can make sure that the pension part is sustainable for the future. Okay. And that's why we've put in place the state transition pathway and payment. But we can't continue to be populist in everything that we do and say. And that's why this election is so important. Okay. And that's why the question can't be just glossed over. I just want to bring because it, in. it is a fundamental question that we must address in the future. Okay. The next gentleman here. If you just identify yourself for asking the question, please. I'm Patrick O'Shea, the president of University College Cork, and I'm delighted to Mr. be president joined by welcome. my colleague, Barry Connor, president of the Cork Institute of Technology, and shortly to be the Munster Technological University, I hope. But education is the bedrock on which we've built our culture and our economy. And three years ago, the Minister for Education, Richard Bruton, stated the vision to have Ireland's higher education system be the best in Europe by 2026. Mm -hmm. We all support that vision. But unfortunately, without investment, that vision has become hallucination because the investment in higher education is now 40, down by 40% per student from what it was 10 years ago. And the Irish higher education system is a system in danger down there with Serbia 
and Greece. So what I would like to know is, how are you going to convert that hallucination into vision and that vision into action so that we can have okay. a great higher education system and a general for our economy? I'll start okay. with you. Yeah, we have started increasing funding in higher education. We have a minister designated the cabinet table for higher education. We are playing catch-up, I accept that, but we, and we are committed to the development of the MTU, as you know, and we are dedicated to increasing our model of funding for third-level education in conjunction with research and development. But is it not true, Jerry, you starved, uh, as the charts have been made by the Irish Universities Association, this government and the previous government have starved the sector of funding, and you've basically allowed the Cassell's report to mothball, and your decision not to even look at the student loan scheme will it continue that starvation of that sector? No, I, I don't accept that argument. I think the Castles report is a very interesting report. We've, we've, we've taken some of the Castles report and started to implement it in, in a variety of key areas. What we must do now is to ensure that in conjunction, and we've met with Jim Miley and, and, and the Higher Education Association, is to ensure that we develop a model that is sustainable based upon a number of pillars, but the fundamental one being that we make it affordable, okay. that we increase investment, but that we also deliver a quality education system. Okay. Sinead. Um, so as a CIT graduate and actual current UCC student, as uh, we were chatting before, um, education is really something that I take to heart. Um, we have fully committed to make all levels of education uh, affordable um, from primary right up to third level, and that includes full funding across the board. Um, you know, we're, we're looking at increasing the student numbers, and yet you know, the, the, the funding is staying flat, and that's something that we're, is completely unacceptable. Um, should, and should, also should students pay more? No, students should not pay more. So it's, a, it's a gatekeeping exercise uh, in terms of the even something like the, the grants, the, the forms that you have to go through is excluding a large amount of people uh, in terms of if they have any sort of literacy issues, if their parents do, they don't have the paperwork. Um, so, you know, we need to make uh, education far more accessible and, you know, we're, we're failing at the moment in terms of keeping re retaining some students even mm. through to second level. Okay, um, so John we need to work on that as well. John Mar, the Labour Party was the party that introduced third level fees or you know, ab abolished third level fees but it was Rory Quinn who reintroduced the fees, you know, uh, having signed that pledge outside the gates of Trinity College. Labour Party can't be trusted on third level. Yeah, well, the first thing anyway is don't ever sign a pledge. Um, genuinely, though, it <laughs> was... Uh, to keep it. Uh, no, like, you know what? It was... It, listen, 20, 2011 was a time in Ireland when it was on fire. Um, we came in, we did a job, and we made mistakes, and I'm, I'm not here to defend that. Um, I'm a politician now that... I avail of a student grant. I came from a Daesh area um, and I got through college. I got my degree. I understand the importance of education. Inverted commas, where I come from, you weren't meant to do that. Okay, that was the, that's a perception out there. When I went into college, it was said, oh, you're from there. That's what, that was the reality. So again, the Labour Party here and now are committed. Everywhere I go, I hear we're starved of funding. No matter what organisation you are, we know the problems. What I've said at the start, we cannot reduce taxes because what happens when we reduce them and we make all these promises, we're left with the problems we have today. We have so how, are the Labour, how is the Labour Party going to solve the funding crisis that the President talks about? We, we, we're, going to increase, uh, we're going to increase the funding for the third level institutes on student grants, okay, we're going to freeze them at the moment and reduce them down over time. Uh, education needs to be accessible, but also... Again, we, need, we're, we spent 2.4 billion on a children's hospital that was meant to cost 1 billion. This isn't the tenor that we dropped on the ground. 1.4 billion extra. We're wasting money in all government departments and we're wondering then okay. why our education system isn't being funded. Michael McGrath, your, your former colleague, Bato O'Keefe, when he was education minister, in fairness to him, started a debate about fees uh, about 12 years ago. 
what's your party policy now and do you support the reintroduction of full fees and or yeah. or how do you intend resolving the funding issue the president talks about okay so the Cassell's report is now four, four years old and up to now we've had no decision as to which option which he set out to go with we have made a decision and we've provided funding in our plans to do so and that is to provide additional direct exchequer funding of 500 million euro so an extra 100 each year going into the base so at the end of it it would be 500 million higher than it is at the beginning of the term of government we also want to restore postgraduate grants we've provided 44 million euro for that because increasingly a post graduate uh, course is essential in more and more careers you know we can't have a situation where we continue with no decision being made we're not abolishing fees we're leaving the fees as they are the student contribution will remain but we're, we've made a decision okay. it's direct exchequer funding because it is a priority Oliver I, I had a very interesting conversation with one, one of your students on Tuesday evening um, he was a, a master's student and what his concern was um, there is a lot of, of, of cost obviously involved in going to college but what he was concerned about was the value of what he would be leaving with. And I think a, an awful lot of the discussion about uh, investment in, in colleges and universities is about student grants, it's about student fees, it's about the, the entry, uh, which is important, uh, but we have to ramp up our investment in what people are, are getting there as well, so that what they leave with is of a world-class um, uh, value, which I, in fairness to you, to see, I think yeah, it very I, much I, is. I, I have to stop you. Yeah. I hear this use of the word <coughs> phrase world-class in terms of the Irish education system. Yeah. University president after university president repeatedly say there's nothing world-class about the Irish education system because of the funding that we have. Can we stop you that? You see it's world-class when it comes to ecology. But, well, you're playing to your base there, so fair play to you. But in the, in the overarching point, every, like when it was Ferdinand von Pronsinski in DCU, whether it was Hugh Brady in UCD, and to the current crop in Paddy Prendergast in Trinity, all of them will say repeatedly, given the funding shortages that they experience on a day, daily basis, there is nothing world-class about their education system. So that's, I just want to raise that point. Dunica, what's Sinn Féin going to do about that funding crisis in third level? Like, I mean, it is absolutely the case that we've fallen behind. Like, I mean, you can see that in some of the league tables and that I suppose some of the issues there relate to research. We are committed to additional exchequer funding. We've made that very clear, 117 million per annum, which is equivalent to the ask of the Irish Universities Association, which includes money for, yes, for increases in public sector pay, but also uh, demographic growth and, I suppose, crucially, uh, additional capacity, to, cre to create additional capacity beyond accounting for all that. Okay, what nobody's there. mentioned has been there's been 500 million up, spent on upgrading our third level institutes at the moment and we're committed to 280 million over the next five years but nobody's mentioned the fact that we've put money in to enhance and improve our facilities in our third level institutes okay the gentleman down here thank you my name is liam luddy i am, i listened to leo varadkar speak at the debate the leaders debate where a number he quoted implied that the healthcare system has an overhead factor of 3.75 and those of us in business know that that's not a sustainable business model. It's, it's, a, it's a, an order of magnitude greater than what you can sustain. My question is that the perception, which is now backed up by those numbers, is that this health service is heavy on management and short on frontline staff. And I'd like to know what the candidates are doing and will do to increase the level of frontline staffing at all grades and all types of professionals that okay. need in we the have system. To, we have the point. I'll start with Oliver. Um, yeah, and, and, and to give an, another angle to that, um, it's certainly healthcare, when, when I'm canvassing people, the stories you get from healthcare, um, and, and HSE is not a very uncaring organisation, and that's very bureaucratic, driven by, by a, a bureaucratic management style, and which is very self-serving. That isn't about frontline staff. I think frontline staff uh, are very committed to people, but they're within an organisation that, that doesn't uh, facilitate that in the way that they want to. Um, I, 
The, the answer, and I was very happy to, to hear it in the debate last night, and I hope I'll hear it again today, the, the answer from all parties is the commitment over 10 years to Solantra Care. Okay. Uh, we have, for the first time, uh, have an, an all-party uh, policy on health. It will take 10 years to develop it, uh, or to, to, to deliver it. Okay. It means I want to bring we won't have the problems of healthcare solved next year or the year after, but we will if we follow Sinead. it, have it by 2030. Yeah, well, I suppose the only game in town is Sean to care, but at the same time, we very much need to start and ramp up the investment. There was a 10-year plan that was costed, that was roadmapped. Everything was laid out for everybody, agreed across the parties, and yet we're now we're here uh, arguing about how to implement it. Um, and that's not good enough. Um, and we can't have the you know, slash and burn and cut uh, policies and spend and still deliver a world-class health service. In terms of the management and the, the uh, frontline staff, okay. what I'm seeing as well is that the um, contracts aren't fit for purpose. Um, I know of nurses who prefer to be agency workers because they have flexibility rather than to work directly for the HSE because they're being told in okay. terms of their hours. And that's costing us a massive okay. amount in agency. Trauma hospitals are expensive and they require a significant amount of management. They're complex organisations. We have two very good trauma hospitals here in Cork, but they're under savage pressure. What we are focused on is trying to ensure, like you talk about frontline staff, we want to take as much pressure off those as possible by investing in more care for people in the community, by investing in things like home help, investing in things like step-down beds. We think that can take the pressure okay. off the kind of management and intense expenditure that's involved in trauma hospitals. Michael McGrath, your party, your party leader, introduced the HSE. It's an unwieldy bureaucratic nightmare. What would you do to fix it? Well, I think the problem in the last seven or eight years is that we've had no accountability. The HSC board uh, was dismissed by James Riley. He brought the cameras along to see the board members leaving the building to show that they had been sacked. Uh, and the board was essentially mothballed for all those years. Okay. There was no accountability. The board has now been replaced, finally. Uh, so we need greater accountability uh, in terms of health spending to get the efficiencies we need. The crisis we have in particular is one of access. Once people get in, the system generally looks after them very well. It's the outpatient waiting list is what we need to clear. That will require hiring more consultants, uh, more nurses, and having increased Jerry Butterman, respond to that charge from Michael McGrath. Well, if he wants to talk about photo ops, we can produce the photograph of Michael Martin at the Plan for National Children's Hospital with the Minister for Health. But no, this, the question is a more fundamental one. Um, and I'm a former chairman of the Health Committee. And I think the question is based upon we need to do a number of things. First of all, there's cross party commitment to Slauncher Care. Second of all, we've created the hospital group system, which I think can tackle some of the issues that Liam referred to in his question, because there is too much bureaucracy, there is too much middle management. And what we must do is to increase supply in terms of capacity of beds. We must invest in primary care, like we did with the urgent care centre in Gornabrahar, but also we must ensure that primary care is the model and that people don't just go automatically to the emergency department. There's only one part, if I can just finish on this point, is that and, and the fundamental is we must tackle the vested interest that is in our health system. And I'm not quite sure that we have the political will from any of us in this room we're here. Very tight time, Jerry. But it is an important point, okay. sorry. We're just we're very tight. Sorry, Danny, so, sorry. Yeah. John Marr, just to finish this. Um, again, slide to care is the show and tone. It's the blueprint that maps it out. And for ordinary people, what that means is that people like us can't break our promises or say one thing and do another in. It's cross-party support. It's something that will take time to roll out. And in the meantime, we need to open more beds. We need to lift the embargo 
on frontline <coughs> staff workers. That is key. We wonder why people are on trolleys for three days. It's very simple. There's, not, there's no staff there and there's no beds. So in the short term, that's what we do. And then every political party needs to commit this line to care and implement it over the next 10 years. We have a question here from Conor O'Connell. Uh, thank you very much. Um, Conor O'Connell, Construction Industry Federation. It's great to hear so much talk about construction, projects, infrastructure, and just to state the industry is looking forward to actually delivering these projects. Um, just in relation to roads projects in particular, just to make the point, many road projects that are proposed in this region actually facilitate sustainable development in our city centre. To take the trucks out of the city centre, they free up the industrial lands for residential development, which will facilitate and will support the CMAT strategy. So I think that's a key point to make. Okay. It's great as well to hear about the commitment to the M20, the direct route, which is the most sustainable route between Cork and Limerick, here, here. connecting directly the city centres, the ports, the airports, the business districts. Um, just in relation to housing, in particular residential, uh, I haven't heard any comments in relation to um, you know, cutting the delivery costs. Would the parties support initiatives to cut the delivery costs so more people can buy? And would also, in relation to social and affordable housing, housing would, the parties, yeah, sorry, would the parties support multi-annual budgets for the local authorities? Okay, Thanks. Oliver, I'll let you come in first, because obviously that was a criticism of, of your policy there. So. Uh, well, just to say, there isn't a commitment to the N20 route. The, the, the uh, Project Ireland 2040 updates is a commitment to look at three out of four routes that use the M8, yeah, so gotcha. there's no commitment to, to use the N20 route from the government. Um, multi-annual budgets, yes. Uh, the, your question was about uh, supports too for, for people uh, for, develop, for development, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, I, there is taxation, taxation yes. Um, we, we have a, a manifesto commitment to uh, reducing VAT uh, on um, uh, what would you call it? economic uh, <coughs> initiatives, which would uh, support you know, greater green development. We'll say. I think. The uh, development of the Docklands will be an okay. example of that. I do you need to try and get everybody in? We've got two and a yeah. half minutes. Michael McGrath. Yeah, look, first of all, Dunkettle should have got to go ahead already. Uh, there is no guarantee that the retendering now underway will save money. Uh, I, do, I personally very much doubt that it will. On apartment and home development, we need to make it more viable. We have a contribution refund scheme, and we have proposals okay. around the creation of additional finance. And also, Danny, if I can just make the point on the taxation environment, which is very relevant for businesses, we want to reduce the capital gains tax rate to 23%, 25%. We want to increase the entrepreneur uh, relief limit to 15 million. Uh, and also, we have proposals okay. around the employment, investment, and incentive okay. scheme, I, I, uh, and also the key scheme. In, so and we're going to put a, a significant focus on financial services. We see a huge opportunity in Cork to grow and develop Jerry that cluster Butler. along with the chamber. Yeah, and, and the last point, just to commend Owen Motherway and his crew on what they've done with financial services in Cork, and that's an important point. I think the point you make uh, in terms of multi-annual budgeting is one that we should look at, certainly. Um, and I think the point in terms of how we can incentivise people to develop and to build is critical. My biggest regret in the last, in the rock has just concluded, is that the land development agency didn't get finished because that would have been able to fast-track some of the developments, okay, like, for example, St. Brendan's up in the, up in the order, ladies, but I think your question is one that we need to develop okay. further. Okay, Sinead Halpin. 
Yeah, um, I suppose in terms of the road infrastructure projects, like I, and like you were saying, in terms of removing the, the trucks, we 100% always need to look at moving people, not moving traffic, and moving the traffic that is bad for people away from them. Um, and then in terms of the, the cost of housing, what I would like to see uh, is more autonomy given to the local governments in terms of the options to build, the options to turn around. We have an extremely slow turnaround time here in the um, in the okay. county in the city council, okay. um, and. Sorry, Sorry yeah. John Mar. Sorry, tight. We're really um, tight on time. Again, so. on, on the roads issue, yeah, we do need to get the trucks out of our communities, which will, will increase the frequency of our buses and the efficiencies. It will allow us to build cycle lanes. And to me, it's a no-brainer. I think it will work. Um, on, on the cost, Connor, you came to City Hall. You spoke to us. You told us the real cost of what it costs to build an apartment. I didn't know that a couple of months ago, the actual, when you're into the nitty-gritty. So if you're willing to build apartments to solve a housing crisis in the city, then we need to support you okay. as a government. Very good. Donegal, to finish up. Yeah, look, I mean, I agree with the point that Conor made in terms of, like, a road project isn't necessarily unsustainable and it's not necessarily anti-environment if it involves uh, the right elements in terms of uh, public transport, pedestrians, all the rest of that. I agree with that. In relation to the cost, uh, I commend the report that you've drafted. Like, I will be honest, like, I mean, we're not committing to cuts in VAT, but if there are other routes, and, like, I mean, we'll continue to keep an open mind on that, but that's not a commitment we're making at the minute. Um, if there's other ways of cutting costs, then we're happy to look at that and things to turn around, turn around time the whole issue in relation to Irish water that we've discussed before. Okay. I think it's vitally important that that's dealt with. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of time. I think we, we can all agree we've had a fascinating morning and uh, illuminating answers from, from, from the candidates. I'd ask you if you could please put your hands together for Jerry Buttermer, Sinead Halpin, John Marr, Michael McGrath, Oliver Moran and Donna O'Leary. Thank you very much. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.